Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. radio show host, publisher of Spirit Seeker Magazine, and Energy Medicine Girl. So I wear many hats. Each and every day is different, but I meet the most amazing people who are on the front lines of helping people with their mind, body, and spirit, and understanding the different twists and turns that, you know, happen as we go through this journey called life on planet Earth. So today, um, I will bring my guest on in just a moment, but before I do that, I'm going to get all of the announcements and everything out first first part of the show, and then we will have one hour to savor this, this time with an expert in the area of listening and being fully present. So I just want to mention that this uh, radio show... Uh, we, we archive the shows the minute they're finished. So there are, I don't know, 250, close to 300 different shows archived. Uh, and all you have to do is go to the spiritseeker.com website, click on the link in the upper left-hand corner that takes you to the radio shows. And um, if you like the shows, then you can you know forward the link to your friends. You can send us an email to info at spiritseeker.com. We will send you a uh, reminder of when the radio shows are happening, when the magazine is online. We um, we have some great articles in this issue of Spirit Seeker, and one is actually um, about the book that we're going to hear about, 7,000 Ways to Listen, uh, Staying Close to What is Sacred by Mark Nepo. And that is uh, in our January issue. There's also articles on Job versus Calling by Marianne Williamson, her latest book, uh, guiding us through some of the financial crises that have changed people's lives as a wake-up call, so to speak. There's also seven tips on how to beat those New Year's resolution blues and make change stick, and a wonderful article on the myth of disorganization, and I could go on and on, and this is one issue of Spirit Seeker. Our February issue is just about ready to um, be on the stands. I do believe it's tomorrow. So there you are, and you can always uh, read Spirit Seeker online. Okay, so I'm going to uh, do a brief introduction to our guest and then bring him right on. So Mark Nepo, is a, he, he wears many hats as well. He's a poet, a philosopher. He has been a uh, teacher at a ma- major university. He works in the field of poetry. He works with spirituality, and he's done all of this on the front lines for over 35 years. He is a number uh, one New York Times bestselling author. He's been on Oprah's show. He has had his. Um, he's been on the Super Soul Sunday program. He's also been part of Oprah's uh, serious uh, radio show. He uh, he was featured as one of her, you know, book of the months where you know she promotes uh, she promotes people that she knows are doing the work. Um, he has written a number of books. Uh, so, Mark, are you there? I'm here. Hi. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Hello and welcome. And 
It's just been a delight reading uh, reading your most recent book that just came out at the end of 2012. And um, and you know, I, it's you're a fascinating person. I you know, and we'll hear your journey. But I just have to tell you that you know, I was looking at the different websites and reading the reviews, and you know, spending time with the book, and I thought, oh, this is a book that everyone should have. I'm, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Oprah says this is another one you need to have. Oh well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so let's just hear who are you and how. And I know you've had your your travails that have um, brought you. Um, more humbly to being present, if if I may, you know, put it that way. Sure. Um, but but let's hear who you are and how this journey began, so that people can get to know um, a little bit about you before we go right into the book. Well, sure. Well, thanks. Well, as you said, this, you know, I I first would want to say, like, I I view all of my books as inquiries, as doorways that I and thresholds that I cross, so that I can learn. You know, I think that that uh, most authors, whether the, whether we admit it or not, I think I know that I do. I write because I need to learn what I what I don't know. I don't write because oh, I have all these things that I need to tell other people. So that you know, I wrote a book bef- you know before this about inner courage, and I I wrote that because I needed to learn how to be more courageous in my own life. And so, similarly, you know, this book on listening is a lifelong interest in um, in in how to be fully here and and to listen in, in more than just with our ears. But so so to back up, you know, I mean, my journey um, to share a little bit is um, I'm going to be 62 next month. Um, and I know when I was in my 30s, I thought that 62 was really old. <laughs> when I'm 64, will you still feed me? Will you still feed me? <laughs> <laughs> right. It doesn't seem so old now. Um, and uh, But, you know, um, I uh, the, the big kind of shaping experience, as you know from you know my work, is that I'm a long-term cancer survivor. And, you know, I was teaching, I taught for 20 years at, uh, State University of New York at Albany, um, and but in my 30s, um, while I, I was teaching, you know, I I uh, was you know stricken with cancer, a rare form of lymphoma, and I'd never been sick before, um, really, and so, you know, it was I was trying to contribute and change life, and you know, be a devoted teacher, and tried to make my way as a writer and uh and suddenly life was changing me and um and suddenly everything was in uh how do I get to tomorrow and so you know through that journey the heat of that journey was a 3 year period that uh, I were I almost died and I'm blessed to be here and you know I have to say to that that two very profound learnings that shaped me out of all of that. Um, this one was that um, I really came out of that journey living from my heart and not my head. And the the journey, you know, it wasn't, I'd like to say that these were wise choices on my part, <laughs> wisdom that I arrived at. But, uh, you know, just, just like you 
put a water in a kettle and it steams off and burns away. I mean, some experiences in life burn things away off of us and then we're left living deeper. And that happened to me. I was living more deeply from my heart and not my head. And the mind is a great tool. It's in our consciousness, our ability to synthesize and remember and put things together. It's just amazing. But the mind, I believe, is meant to be a tool of the heart and, and not the other way around. I um, I had a personal experience <clears throat> excuse me, with that saying, get out of your head and get into your heart. And I, I can remember it was, you know, when you're an analytical person and, you know, my background um, is, and if you've been, you know, a teacher, you know, we always know we teach what we most need to learn. And, you know, your mind is, you know, always going and looking at things. And I remember when I came to, it was a form of breath work as meditation. And, you know, I just remember the instructor just, you know, and I was working on my MBA at the time. So here I am in this breathwork class. <laughs> and it was like, what are you talking about? Cindy, get out of your head and go into your heart. And I'm, and I'm thinking I'm in my heart, right? And I, and I remember one time I thought, if they tell me that one more time, I really, I just, oh. And then there was a surrendering, which you talk about in your in your writings, where there's this moment where all of a sudden you just got it, what that means. Yeah, and so so we're beginning to weave our conversation, which is great. So, you know, there's still other things I'll share about that. But let me speak to what you just, you know, uh, are raising, and that is that, you know, the first thing is that surrender is often misunderstood as giving up. It's not like in the military, you know, we're fighting and I say, okay, I surrender. Surrender in a daily, deep, interior way is how a fish finds the current so that it can be swept along by the power of the current so that its efforts and the current are one. Surrender is more about alignment than giving up. So all the spiritual traditions are offering us ways to align with everything larger than the individual. So how do we both be who we are and surrender who we are so that we can find our place in the larger universe as part of the living universe. That's what all the spiritual traditions have their own way of speaking about this. But this is one of the deepest and most important forms of listening. So what does that require? Well, the first thing it requires is for us to accept that we're part of something larger than just us. And, you know, we live, not. I think in our age it's heightened, but I think it's always been there. There's always the the aspect or the value or tradition of a dominant will, a conquering will. I'm going to make life bend to my dream and my desires. I'm going to control things. And, you know, sooner or later, whether we, whether we get to uh, do that for a while or a little bit, or a long time even, even if we are a very strong personality or we're very smart or we're very lucky, sooner or later we all wind up hitting an edge where we don't get what we want. And there's a chapter in the book about that. I know, it's perfect. Not getting what we want. <laughs> and, you know, and that's not to, to minimize, you know, of course, you know, 
um, all the things we want. You know, often the things we want are very deep and very true, and not getting them is very painful, and it creates a lot of loss. And that's to be honored uh, as uh, and not minimized. And whether it's large or small, when we hit not getting what we want, it breaks our self-reference. This is one of the hard ways that experience and life introduces us to the fact that we are a part in a larger whole, W-H-O-L-E. And once that begins, then the real spiritual journey begins because then, then we begin a conversation with life. What kind of part am I in what kind of hole? Am I a branch on a tree? Am I a wave in the sea? Am I a star in a sky? You know, am I a bird on in that tree? Am I a ladder? Am I a rung on that on a ladder? You know, there are all these ways. Am I a wheel on which things turn? Am I a spoke in that wheel? So we are constantly then in a conversation about who am I in relation to everything else? And out of that listening comes our best chance at being fully alive and being in community and knowing what it means to be to be really here, really here. And I would add, in touch with Everyone else who ever lived. That's that's beautiful the way you explain that. And, no, uh, thanks. Well, and I like that you brought in the community aspect because, you know, commune, commune. You know, it's it's all being part of a, a bigger bigger whole as you described. And your book um, is just fabulous. In I I like how there's a meditation with each. You know, new chapter that you're you're bringing in. Um, I, I like how it's broken into sections. You know, you oh, to thanks. my reader, the work of being. You know, and then all of the different, um, the way you weave. You're a master storyteller, but you know, and mm-hmm. I and I think that's one of the best ways. You know, to teach the sages have always done that by, you know, giving giving illustrations, and then when you you know you move after the work of being into the work of being human, and then learning what it is to be in, you know, the work of love. And, you know, each chapter is just beautiful with the the meditation, you know, that you can do individually, but then the journal questions, which, you know, Deepak Chopra, of course, uh, I, I'm going to say his quote about your book. He says, if you live the questions, life will move you into the answers. Mark, is it Nepo or Nepo, by the way? Nepo, so, yeah. Okay, okay, I was hoping I had that right. Okay, so, <laughs> and then he says, Mark Nepo offers you a map to explore the sacred in your own being. So the beautiful part is there, there are journal questions for introspection, but then I love the table questions. So how did you how did you come up with this? I mean, well, that's a wonderful story, and and you know, and, and thank you because one of the things that I get. Yeah, older is that my the life of my writing and the life of my teaching keep merging, and you know the way that I teach and hold space and open space with people is is through all all these kinds of questions because I really and this really comes out of my cancer journey. I feel like the deepest things that matter have to if they make sense to us, 
we have to make them personal so that we can find where they are in our own life. And the, the best way to do that is through questions. And so, you know, I've really come to merge, and so I, I want my books, in the last several books I've really been working at this, to to have in each book these different kinds of questions, table questions or questions over a table that you can, as you know from the book, that you can open with friends and loved ones around a dinner table, a living room table, in a cafe, so that you start to to learn more about each other and compare notes on what it is to be here. And how they came up is just a wonderful, very real story. Is you know, there's a group of friends that I'm that I'm close with, and um, there were several couples who we would have you know dinner, every, you know, pretty regularly. And and one of our friends, Jill, um, out of nowhere, we were all having dinner, and you know, all they can imagine, all the plates are all over the place, and <laughs> everybody's talking at once, and. Um, and all of a sudden, she kind of slaps her hand on the table, and she goes, table question, just came out of nowhere, and she asked, I can't remember what the question was that day, but, but she asked something that was more than a surface question, you know, about something about how, who we are and how we became who we are. And then we just stopped, and there were about eight of us, and for the next two hours, everybody took a turn telling a story and even though we knew each other for years we learned we never knew any of this about each other and so then ever since then when we meet someone else will bring a table question whenever we have dinner and so somewhere in the evening it's put out and and you know we we share a little and eat a little and wander and then come back and somebody else will share. And so that's where I got, you know, that that's a great that's a great way to open things. So, you know, when um if we tell a story and the story touches us, then to ask, well where where does this story happen in you? I mean one of the questions that I love in the in the book on listening is uh, somewhere in there, I have the the question: Can you talk about your your autobiography as a listener? Can you talk about the hit? Can you give one or two or three key experiences in your life that shaped you as a listener? That either taught you what it means to listen or taught you or demonstrated to you what it means not to listen. That's just one example. Um, well, and I, I loved your chapter. I mean, I know it's front end, but it's um, the gift in receiving. And each mm. chapter also has a wonderful quotation, um, and this one is from Lao Tzu. Can you hold the door of your tent wide to the firmament? Yeah. And then the table question uh, the, tell the story of a moment when giving and receiving seemed indistinguishable and what this moment has taught you. Yeah. And I think that, I think that you know, um, and this is a very deep and important notion and a, and a form of listening uh, because compassion and love and generosity come from a different place when we realize that we're interconnected. 
And I think the analogy that I use in that chapter is, you know, most in our Western world, giving and receiving are considered mostly an exchange. You know, I'm in need, you're kind, you give me something, I'm grateful, and I give you something back. But at the deepest level, giving and and most of the indigenous traditions and the older spiritual traditions, the stories talk about giving and receiving as a flow. Mm -hmm. That giving flows between people. And, And it's the flow that must be kept alive. So the analogy is like blood in the body. No one organ owns owns the blood. If it did, the body would die. They all keep the blood flowing between them. And no one person on earth owns the love. It's our job to keep the love flowing between us. Or the person and humanity will die. So... This and and so at the deepest level, um, giving and receiving are the same thing. It's like it's like in the midst of a a real kiss. You don't know who's kissing who. You don't you, you don't know. You know it all becomes one. You know in the essence of our breath. At that the height of a breath, you don't know whether you're beginning to exhale or ending inhaling. Right. It just becomes one continuum all connected. Yeah, it just becomes one thing. And and you know, I in the in the book I this is I learned this in a very you know, one of the earliest my earliest learnings or moments of giving by receiving was when I was in college and my my grandmother on my mother's side. Oh, Grandma Juicy. Grandma Juicy. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping we would get to her. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And oh, we called her Grandma Juicy because <laughs> she loved orange juice. And, you know, kids being, you know, six, seven, eight, you know, that was became our nickname. We just, she was Grandma Juicy forever. And, um, well, she was in her 70s living in Florida, in Miami. And I was in college. I was like a sophomore. And I would talk to her on the phone and, and and she invited me to come and visit her with some of my friends, a couple of my friends. And so, you know, I'd never been anywhere, you know, and and I really wanted to see her. And, and so I wanted to, you know, I wanted to go. And so there were three other friends, and we had an old beat-up car, and we were going to drive all the way from Cortland, New York, down to Miami, Florida. And, you know, and... I had this conflict with my parents because my grandmother, you know, offered to pay for our us to stay when we were down there. She lived in like an apartment hotel kind of thing, house, old building, and she was going to get a, a vacant apartment for us to stay in for a week with her. And my parents, you know, uh, said, no, that's, don't freeload. That's not okay. And, you know, I listened to them, and I was 19 or 20, and I felt like, you know, this was really a once-in-a-lifetime chance to have this time with my grandmother. And, no, I didn't have money, 
but I felt like I was bringing something. Mm-hmm. I felt like she was asking me to show up. Yeah, you're a joy de vie and your friends come play. Yeah, and so so this was a real kind of parting of values. My parents didn't understand me, um, and I went. We went, and we drove all the way down there, and not knowing anything, being, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, you know, we got to not having any idea how long the state of Florida is. We got to Jacksonville, which is in the north, for those folks who don't still don't know how big Florida is. And I called Grandma and said, oh, we're right around the corner. Well, eight hours of driving later, we arrived like two or three in the morning. And the the bellman to this old hotel, um, which was not a fancy hotel, it was more like an apartment, quasi hotel, you know, old building. He was there to greet us with the light on, and we were. My grandmother got up and met us, and and then we went into this little apartment where she had, you know, cookies and milk waiting on the table. And, you know, but the thing was, of course, we had our time on the beach and hanging out and, you know, with her and without her. But during that week, and especially toward the end, I wound up walking with her for a long walk on the ocean in which she told me all about her life and her loves and her disappointments. And I realized that was why I went. I went to have that walk that I didn't know I would have. And while we were walking, I was giving by receiving. I was listening to this almost 80-year-old person tell her grandson, her daughter's son, all about her life. And, you know, that was so beyond money, time, anything intimacy at, at at a deep level and that's that's you know I mean I, I remember someone saying intimacy is into me see see all parts of me and just mm. know me and love me just you know into me see and you know and I when I read that chapter I thought oh you know I I, I am very often um well, I mean, I read a lot of books because of the nature of publishing Spirit Seeker magazine for over 15 years, and I've always been an avid reader. I was one of those kids that went to the bookmobile and walked a mile to get to the bookmobile uh-huh. to bring my stack of books home, you know, every week during the summer. And, you know, when I was reading your book, I thought, oh, I mean, the journal questions, I could, or not the journal, well, the journal questions, yes, but also the table, you know, the table topics, you know, the table sharing, and I thought, this is like having a talking stick like the Native Americans teach, you know, where, mm. you know, when the person has their time to talk, everyone else listens. And, you know, your book is just, it just touches on so many different chords, you know. And, I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful. But when I read that chapter on Grandma Juicy, I thought, oh, oh. I mean, I I mean, I had tears because all I could think of is that deep letting you see into her. And then, you know, when you talked about we went into her grandma's world, we went shopping, we did, we did the things that grandmas do, you know, but yet, you know, you had your own time with being young, spirited on the beach and doing that in Miami. I, you know, it was just fabulous. Yeah. Well, you know, thank you. And and I think that listening, as we're talking about listening, so much of it has to do 
with being present and leaning into whatever is before us, whether that's joyous, unknown, painful, confusing, because everything that life presents is a doorway. And often, if we don't take that doorway and open it, it will present itself again. And it's taking the courage. It's a quiet courage. No one knows if we take it or not, you know. And there's no audience. There's no applause. But it's the courage that leads us to be patient enough till life truly opens. And then, then we're in a moment, an unexpected moment of aliveness that stays with us. So, you know, I'll, give me, I'll tell another story here that where I learned very deeply about this. And this was years ago. I used to, used to go to a small lake in the Adirondacks in upstate New York in the summers. And the, like many of these kind of lakes, there were cabins, you know, along one side. And on the other side in this lake, and this is often the case, it was state land, so it was undeveloped. It was just, you know, beautiful land and you know we would always you know those that I was close with we would we would always kind of row over there and hang out and we'd see all kinds of amazing creatures and birds and time would start to slow down and one time uh three of us were in a rowboat over on the other side of the lake a very sunny day and above us began to appear the silhouettes of very large birds, two very large birds. And because the sun was so bright, it was impossible to tell what kind of birds they were. They were too big to be hawks, and um, we couldn't tell if they were eagles. We couldn't tell if they were, you know, turkey vultures. We just really couldn't tell. But they were gliding. And so we were like, wow, this is amazing. And it's like... What a moment in our day. That was so, uh, wow. And then we just stayed quiet and watched. And they kept gliding. And they didn't pump their wings once for minutes. And we stayed quiet, mesmerized by their uninterrupted glide until suddenly our frame of reference was broken. And now... They weren't some beautiful piece of nature that came into our day. We were a blip that came in for a moment into their day. And it all turned around. Right. And it's like it's like your grandmother invited you in to who it's it's the same thing. It's like, you know, these are well, it's not the same thing, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, like, it is. It is. I, these, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And in the Hindu uh, faith, they call them leelas, these unexpected gifts that come from nowhere. And and you're like, what? Oh. And they're immeasurable. You know, it's just this this gift, this wisdom, this like unexpected treat. I call it an unexpected, like <laughs> you know, like gift from the universe. And you know. I mean that's just beautiful. You were invited into their world. They were they were entertaining you. You were right, th- but they were entertaining you. But it was by by uh, way of you just being fully present with them. So this this raises a very very um, powerful and continual challenge for all of us, and, and, and in our listening and in our being, 
you know, we struggle so hard to find who we are and be who we are. And that's only the first part of the journey. Because being alive and being connected and being a living part of the universe requires us to be who we are and lose who we are. It's a paradox. Because it's the moments like that where I have to bring all of who I am into that moment, but then I have to loosen my world, be secure enough in who I am to let go of who I am so that I can experience what it is to be a part of those birds and their world, so that I can see what it is to be a part of my grandmother's world. This is at the this amazing kind of challenge is at the heart of true compassion. Well, we're going to segue into with that the chapter Seasons of Listening. <laughs> and I think it's a perfect segue. And the quote at the beginning of this chapter is, if your mind isn't clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. Yeah, this is, and that's by Wu Men, who was a great Chinese Chinese sage. So when you wrote this chapter, it was the 24, it had been 24 years that day when um, the tumor that was in your brain just vanished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what a perfect introduction to that chapter. <laughs> uh, and talking about, you know, Beethoven and, you know, so I, I, rather than me talking about it because I thought, oh my, I mean, I've always loved music and I know that music reaches doorways to the soul that words sometimes just can't. Because you well, listen, don't you? You listen. Yeah, absolutely. So, so here, and let me back up for a second cause to give a context which you know also from the book. But, you know, one of the kind of humbling things about this writing this book or how this book has written me uh, is that, you know, I started this book maybe four or five years ago. And each book is a teaching for me that leads me to the next. And so as I was feeling the need to explore all the different ways of listening, not just with our ears, but with our heart and our mind and our presence and our history, you know, I was unaware of the fact that my hearing was starting to break down. And I find that amazing in retrospect, that that here is my surface way of hearing was breaking down, I was being compelled to explore all different ways of listening. And that, my listening breaking down, I have a hearing aid now, which is fabulous. I mean, anyone who's listening that is struggling with hearing and resisting getting checking out a hearing aid, oh man, I just encourage you to go. We live in an age where the level of these these small incredible incredible technologies are uh, it's just astonishing i'm so grateful but well when you think about the fact that the new iphone uh, iphone 5 that my 15 year old has is thinner and slimmer it does not surprise me that hearing aids too have advanced i just well, never really hearing, thought about hearing it. aids are just for a second here you know they are little computers and they they are individualized they're able to be programmed to counter your hearing deficiencies and 
to have individual programs. So I have a program that I have on net. You just hit a button, and it's for phone, which we're doing. Or it can be I have one for when I'm teaching in a circle and for out in the, you know, ambient noise in like a restaurant or in public. And they're just astonishing. I had no idea. I did have some idea how much I was not hearing, but no real idea until I could hear again. But so so let's go back to, you know, so, you know, the chapter on seasons of listening um, is centered around uh, Beethoven, who, if folks don't realize, Beethoven, one of the greatest composers of all time, was deaf. He, at a very early age, in his 20s, went completely deaf. And, you know, I wanted to explore... Here, here was one of the most extraordinary talents to ever be born in an ordinary person. That is his life, which is often the case. We carry great gifts in our very ordinary being. And I think that's not by accident because we are humbled into great awareness by working those gifts and being terribly human. And Beethoven was such a, an amazing example of this, quite quite heroic. So try to imagine that here is a person who was born hearing music that had never been on earth before. Hearing it where? Hearing it in some interior space and he, like all composers, like all artists, then was alive, awakened, impassioned to bring that into the world. So imagine if that's your gift, and then you discover in your 20s that the sense that is so important to your gift, hearing, is starting to crumble rapidly that you will never hear the music that you are bringing into the world you will never hear it actually played on instruments it was just it's just amazing when you think about it and oh. and he did some of his most brilliant work after he was well done. this is this is this is the thing this is the thing about the courage of heroic listeners and beethoven was one of them so in 1802 when he realized that he was really in in depression he was in despair over this which is understandable he was coming into the height of his powers and he and he was realizing, I'm never going to be able to play the music I hear in my head. I'll play it, but I won't be able to hear it. And he he wrote what's called the Helligstadt Testament, because that was a, a, a place he went to be alone to try to figure out what he was going to do with his life. And he wrote this, this testament, this letter, which actually he was planning on committing suicide. And he was writing this letter to his brothers. But in the expression, the deep expression of his truth and the difficulty of what he was going through, which often happens, which is why expression is so important, he found this unnameable resilience. And instead of committing suicide, he concluded, 
I will make the most music I can with whatever I have for as long as I can. He was and of he, service in the highest way. Just oh. he, he he just said okay, you know, and look what he gave us. I mean, it's just a beautiful gift. Well, and he wrote, and he never sent that letter. In fact, it was found in his drawer after his death. And he wrote the Ninth Symphony completely deaf, completely deaf. And there are other amazing examples of this. You know, Monet. Oh, I know. He couldn't even see. Like, I mean, yes. Right. Please, please share. Well, Monet, as you know, Monet, the most, you know, amazing impressionist, and his water lilies, which are considered his masterpiece, which he painted at the end of his life, a whole series. Well, Monet had double cataracts. And he actually, at the time that he lived, this was in 19, the end of his life in 1918, 1920, around there, he had one of the first cataract surgeries trying to correct his vision, and it didn't work. It failed. And he painted the water lilies because he was committed to painting what he saw through his cataracts. Right. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it's just... And most people do not know that. They just think that's how he painted. So the profound and humbling, humbling thing for all of us, how does that affect all of us? Here Monet worked a lifetime on the gift of seeing so that he could paint, not knowing that his masterpieces would come when he devoted himself and stayed committed to painting what he would see as his seeing was breaking down and it tells us that regardless of how painful our limitations are they open us up to our deepest gifts if we can keep listening you know you've written so many books Um, one is called The Exquisite Risk which was cited as being one of the most um, one of the best books we've ever read on what it takes to live an authentic life another one on learning back to God essays on inwardness um, your the, uh, the the book the book of awakening of course has just been you know recognized on so many levels and um, you've also written sweet for the living inhabiting uh, wonder another one uh, fire without witness God the maker of the bed and the painter um, you know you, you you just you've done audio tapes you've you've done so many different things and now you are offering if, if you would please talk about this uh, starting in uh, beginning March 19th 2013 I noticed that you're teaching a nine-month online course yeah uh, Pilgr- pilgrimage of the heart so let's talk about that because you know I thought oh this is fabulous now well thank we you get- that's, yeah that's partnering with sound true which is oh they're great they're they're fabulous and they're just tremendous a tremendous community and and uh organization and you know and so what we're we're doing is i'm going to be offering through sounds true on a nine-month online uh, course on the pilgrimage of the heart in which i'm and this is on finding your authentic voice and your inner courage and so what I am, you know, wanting to do and offering is to journey with folks. Once a month, we'll have an hour and a half live session 
in which you know it'll be streamed, so you know you'll be able to see me, and we'll we'll actually have a class for an hour and a half, which will involve at the end, um, you know, some question and answer, some conversation, and I will be offering journal questions and table questions and meditations and things that folks can spend time with if they want and are moved to in between the months. You know, and also there'll be an online forum in which people who are participating can be in as much community or as little as they choose. Because as we do these things which are so deep and personal, there's a timing for everything and you know, one month you might feel like, you know, I really not ready to share with other people and another time you might be eager to see how other people are are fielding this and feeling this and thinking about it. So I think it's a very uh, innovative and wonderful form, and I'm excited to uh, to do it. We've worked months uh, in preparing it. And, yes, we start March 19th, and you can either, you know, through Sounds True or through my website um, or threeintentions.com, any of those places you can sign up. Um, and then immediately after each class, there will be an online uh, course page and an online journal for each person who signs up. And then you will have the lesson uh, afterwards that you can refer back to. You can listen or see me, and and you'll have all the questions and, and everything so that as we live it, then you will have it. Uh, to ha- to keep to keep with you and that forevermore. Will... I mean, isn't it? That, that's the beautiful part of the way you're teaching this. It's it's the beautiful uh, part of this book. I mean, you can read the book, reread it, open it up to any chapter, and you know, I have certain books that just you know they're in that you know that one you know where they are, and when you need a moment of spiritual nourishment, <laughs> I, and, and I thought, okay, this is going to be one of the new ones <laughs> because <laughs> because you know I. Without going into details, you know, in 2006, you know, when I when I was, you know, reading all of your things about, you know, or your wisdom about sometimes these things happen, sometimes prayers aren't answered, and you know, there's a reason, you know, so to speak, and you know, I thought about in 2006 where I fell and fractured my ankle. I it was hanging. My foot was hanging, and it took oh. ten screws and a plate to put it back together. Oh my and, goodness! Oh. oh, so so I had my wheelchair experience with no weight. Uh, on the leg for um, four months and then you know the whole journey of learning how to walk all over again but had that not happened I know I would not have discovered the lump in my breast which was a rare form of breast cancer and they told me about it Oh yeah, I was in my. I was still in a walking boot when I found the lump, and you know, oh. and I remember when they were doing the biopsies, I, you know, and of course the one was inconclusive, so there I am knocked out under anesthesia, and I remember saying to the nurses, and I am a former nurse too, but I remember saying to the nurse, whatever happens after I come out of this, don't let me walk on this foot because I won't remember that I'm not supposed to walk. <laughs> and so, oh. but, but here's the doctor saying, okay, Cindy Meyer. You know, this is a very rare kind of breast cancer, and we don't know much about it. So if you're here in three years, you get to celebrate. You know, we normally say five years, but in your case, if you're here in three years, bravo. Okay, so guess what? I, you know, when I was reading your book, I thought, oh, he understands. It's like you just get back to living really fast. (laughs) Well, my good, I'm so glad you're well, and my God, so there's so many ways that uh you know this oh, kinship here i mean yes. uh, god bless i'm so glad you're 
Okay, and yes, you have been through this journey, and and also a former nurse. I mean, you know, nurses are the angels who you know kept me here. Um, you know, I mean, I remember being a little girl, and my best friend's mother was in her fifties, taking ballet, and they had lived in France, and the dog, you know, talk. You could speak to the dog in French or English, and you know, I mean, it was a whole different household than mine. You know, it was like this cultural experience. You never like they'd have pheasant and quail, and you know, dove for dinner because they were great, you know, um, marksmen and different things. And so, but I remember her saying to me as a small, you know, I was a teenager. I remember Mrs. Flora saying, "Cindy, don't you want to be a doctor?" Don't you want to, you know, why do you just want to be a nurse? Why are you setting your, your you know, goal so so low? And I said, oh, no, no. I said, I want to be the ones, you know, the one there when the people really need the help. I said, if I'm a doctor, I just get to come in, do my thing, and go on. I, even then I understood just, you know, a little bit about this whole deal. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I look back and, you know, and that, that opened the doorway to so many other things. But in January 2012, as most of the, you know, not, not, not all the listeners, but some know, I fractured my knee oh. and my ankle in three places. Had the whole wheelchair experience again. And the whole time I'm, you know, for another four months of not weight bearing, because at this time I didn't do the, the pins and plate, I decided to let it heal on its own and let, and, and I knew I was being slowed down and I knew I had to listen. So imagine this crazy woman here that's interviewing you today I go full full tilt most of the time and this last time of being stopped to listen I had the hospital bed in my living room looking out on a deck that overlooks woods and I saw there are no like uh, window coverings it's just this open view to nature so every morning I got to see the sunrise Every night, the sunset, all day long, nature playing right there, mm. and I listened. So reading your book was like this. Oh, I, you know, I have tears. I mean, it just no, was thank like this. You. And you certainly level, have been you know. through so much yourself, and ah. uh, and have your own wisdom. And you know, and I want to say too for for our listeners that you know, as we're sharing about these experiences we've had, I want to really also you know affirm that. It doesn't. If you're if you're listening and you haven't had to go through whatever these kinds of things, it's not like oh well, what do I need to go through? I I, I really feel and believe that you know for me it was cancer and Cindy for you it was these experiences, but it really can be anything. Right, Grandma things, Juicy. It can be things more. Right. It can be Grandma Juicy. It can be things that are very subtle. It can be you know. Um, thing it can be also the wonderful surprise and love that can bring it the point the point is not what opens us but what is opened in us and it can come at any time and anywhere and that's and we don't have to work to find it it will find us that's why it's so important to listen and to be open and thank you, because, you know, sometimes I forget to remind myself that it can be easy. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it's it's uh, listening in all the different ways. And I just want to, uh, you know, uh, mention your websites, uh, marknepo.com, M-A-R-K-N-E-P-O.com, and then threeintentions.com. And then I just want to... Um, you know, just a couple of, you know, uh, endorsements, so to speak, praise. Actually, it's praise for 7,000 ways to listen from different people. And the the first one I'd like to read is from Carolyn Mace. Um, 
you know, known for many books, but she's uh, author of Entering the Castle and Divide Gravity. And she says, Nepo has mastered a unique way of inviting the reader into a meditative state while reading his sublime wisdom about everyday life. I found his work a comfort, and that's a rare find these days. I mean, it just says it all right there. And then, no, thank you. Well, and then Natalie Goldberg, of course, you know, who's... Um, you know, the author of Old Friend from Far Away and Writing Down to the Bones, an excellent guide with with writers. She says 90% of writing is listening, to receive the world and to receive ourselves. In this book, Nepo has generously taught us how to listen. Do the reflective exercises he suggests to lead you deeply down the path. Well, thank you for reading those. Well, because, I mean, they capture the essence of what I've been attempting to to convey, and I'm not sure that I did, the beauty of this book. And, you know, you're you're with the the techno, you you have um, on your website, you can, you know, you know, see, uh, listen. You know, when he was on Oprah's show, he's, uh, you know, Mark. You've just, you've just, have, you're, you're getting us, giving us all the multimedia that we need. You have a Facebook page. Um, you know, as I said, I really, you know, am so grateful that Oprah Winfrey found you and helped <laughs> you. And you know, ABC, ABC Good Morning America, you know, honored your book and, you know, wake up. You know, like, <laughs> well, so, I think, you know, and also on my, I, I do uh, love teaching. And being with folks, so if people are interested, also on on my website, there is a whole list of my speaking and teaching schedule throughout the year. Just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And you know, sounds true. We work with them every month practically because um, I came up with this beautiful idea many years ago that you know there are so many things that are available now through auditory. And um, so I said to my editor, it was probably about eight years ago. I said, you know. Why don't we do music and um, meditation CD reviews and things like this? And I said, we won't charge the people. We'll just do the review. You'll get a copy of the DVD or CD, and I'll get a copy. And I said, and we'll have this beautiful library. Of, oh, that's of, great. Of, well, and so we work with Sounds True all the time. So when I saw that you were partnering with them, I thought, oh, you know, this is just fabulous. And they just, they just you know, bring so many authors and, you know, teachers and musicians to us, you know, that we wouldn't normally find our way to. You know, they're just, well, they're and wonderful. Well, I, I should also tell you, if you haven't, maybe you're aware of, but um, they are now offering, uh, it's going to be an annual festival called a Wake Up Festival. Oh, no, I and don't know about year, And last year was the first one, which I was very honored to be a part of. Um, at teaching and speaking at and and this August August um, 13th through 18th and you can find it online anywhere um, in Estes Park um, at the YMCA Center in Estes Park and last year there were like a thousand people from 15 countries that came for a week and just an amazing group of teachers um, and an ama- it was a really wonderful community, and I'm very happy that I'll be back again teaching at it this this summer. Um, but I think it's a fabulous thing that they're they're convening this kind of community. We're all coming together. You know, I, I interviewed the um, 
the folks that are doing the Bhakti um, Fest festivals, and one of the gentlemen that is, well, it's actually his baby, was involved at Woodstock. And I interviewed him. I said, what was that like to be involved with Woodstock? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, you know, he says, my friend was really in charge of it, and I, you know, I collaborated with it. You know, and at the end, we, you know, we looked at everything that we created, and, you know, my friend said, did we, have we missed anything? You know, what what else? You know, and he said, ah, we do not have a, uh, a guru, a Maharishi or someone. We don't have anyone <laughs> blessing it. So they actually brought someone over from India to bless Woodstock. Now, who would ever uh, guess that? But they understood the importance, like even then, of you know, really making sure that the whole intent and purpose behind it all was to wow. open the minds, you know, to to you know, waking up. <laughs> wow. Well, know. you know, do we have? I see we're we're getting close to the time. Do we have uh, time for me to share a short poem? We do. Oh, that is wonderful. That was my wish, and I didn't know. Okay, so yes, we would love to hear this. Well, this is a poem of mine called Free Fall. If you have one hour of air and many hours to go, you must breathe slowly. If you have one arm's length and many things to care for, you must give freely. If you have one chance to know God and many doubts, you must set your heart on fire. We are blessed. Each day is a chance. We have two arms. Fear wastes air. That is beautiful. Thank you. And as Mark Nepo says, we have two ears and one tongue. We listen and Please, please, listeners, tell people about this interview because everyone can glean amazing words of wisdom and they'll have all the contact information on how to find Mark Depot, marknepo.com. This was, uh, we were hearing about 7,000 ways to listen, staying close to what is sacred. And I just cannot thank you enough for being my guest today and taking time out from your, I know you're busy. I could see it. I felt the energy when I looked through everything. I went, okay, thank Uh you. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been a joy to journey here together, and thank you for your work. Okay. Well, thank you so much, and listeners, we'll be back next week. Have a wonderful week. Thank you again, Mark. Okay. Okay, Take care now. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. 